Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Uh, I don't know about you, but I woke up today. My alarm was set at 5 a.m. When I got up, it felt like 4 a.m. So I said, you know what? My wife is still asleep. Let me go ahead and get out of the bed. I walked into our living room. I sat on the couch, and that was my mistake. I dozed off for an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> then I woke up in one of those panics. Anyone ever been there before? You wake up, your heart's pounding like, I think I'm late for something. And I woke up and I realized, okay, everything's fine. I just got to move a little faster to get ready. It's a good day. Then I looked out the window and it was raining and I thought, oh, Jesus, <laughs> this is going to be a good day. And listen, I'm honestly convinced of this. I'm looking around now and I'm thinking that the second service is probably going to be pretty packed. And you know what I'm, where I'm going with this, right? I think there's quite a few people who may have forgot somehow, or they woke up a little later than I did, and they thought, oh, no, I'm supposed to be up an hour ago. Let me go ahead and go to second service today, right? God is so good. I want to jump into the word. Oh, man, I don't know if you've been here for the last two weeks, but both Pastor Farrell and Pastor Zach have done a wonderful job sharing with us their all-time favorite portions of scripture. In fact, Pastor Farrell kicked us off out of Proverbs chapter number three. You guys know this is very popular. It says to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, lean not on our own understanding in all of our ways to acknowledge him, speaking of God, and he will direct our paths. Man, Pastor Farrell brought a message that came from his heart directly from the word of God out of that specific portion of scripture. And then Pastor Zach last week taught out of Psalm chapter number one, Oh, my goodness. I guarantee both of these two are in my top 10 for sure. Although they're not my number one, they're in my top 10. Pastor Zach taught us about the man who is blessed or the human who is blessed, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But this person's delight is in the law of the Lord and in God's law, they meditate day and night. And then he capped it off with the fact that that person will be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in this season. And listen to this. And whatever that person does shall prosper. How many of you say, whatever I do, I want God to prosper what I do, as long as it's his will, right? Amen. I tell you, our two leaders, they spoke these great words and shared these things with us, and then they gave me a shot. And let me tell you, if you've been, if you love God and you love his word, it is really hard to narrow down what you consider your favorite. There's different times where I'm like, I think it's this one, and no, maybe it's this one. And, and I had to back up a little bit. I had a conversation with Pastor Zach, and I said, you know what I think I'm going to do is just drill this thing in a little bit. And find out what, what, what passage of scripture do I feel like has impacted me the most over the years, over my course of walking with Jesus. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. And I'm so thrilled. So I'm going to give you a little hint. But before I do, I want to ask you this question. Are there any sports fans in the place? Any baseball fans? Raise your hand if you're a baseball fan. What about soccer? Anybody like football? Anybody? Soccer is what we call it in America. And then football, NFL. Anybody like football? Anyone at all? Any basketball fans? Oh, good. Now, I am a basketball fan. I can watch soccer. I can watch baseball. I like to watch football. But I love, if I could say it that way, I love watching basketball. I try to play basketball every now and, then, now and again. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing my skills are going down. They're not going up. And uh, my son is getting older. He's starting to play more competitively. He's only 11. And already I'm thinking, I only have a few years left where I can dominate him. But my favorite, favorite, favorite sport, my all-time favorite sport is basketball. In fact, my all-time favorite team, please don't be mad at me, is the Los Angeles Lakers. Come on, somebody. Any Lakers fans in the place? I got one. Yes. Hallelujah, brother. That's right. 
one Laker fan other than myself. I absolutely love the Lakers. I grew up watching Magic Johnson, Kareem for just a little bit. But then my favorite, my all-time favorite Laker, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. I grew up watching Kobe Bryant play. I watched him do things like airball free throws in the playoffs. <laughs> I watched him do things like hit the game winner time and time again. He was my favorite player, my all-time favorite player. In fact, when I would play basketball with my friends, when I'd shoot a shot, whether I made it or missed it, I'd yell out somebody's name. It wasn't Jesus, unfortunately. I'd shout out, Kobe! <laughs> and if I made it, that was really like Kobe. If I missed it, well, too bad, right? <laughs> That's just how it goes. But that is my all-time favorite sport, my all-time favorite team, my all-time favorite player. But all of that pales in comparison when I really pause and think about my all-time favorite scripture. I want to give you guys a little hint here. I'm going to read you my scripture first, and then we're going to come back around. I'm going to show you how we get to this portion of the text and why it's my favorite. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. But my favorite, if I had to dwindle this thing down to just one, my favorite portion of scripture at all, of all times is 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 21. Listen to this. Paul is speaking, and he says out of the New King James Version, For he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, I'll be honest with you, uh, as I was preparing for this teaching, I had to keep reminding myself, we have to walk through this systematically for you to understand it, because I, I want to preach right now. <laughs> I'm ready to move around to the other side of the podium, but I want to show you how we get here. Are you guys ready to go on a journey through the scripture with me this morning? Let's do this before we start. Can we bow our heads and can we pray? Yes. Heavenly Father, we open ourselves up to you today. We are grateful for your word. Oh, what a privilege it is. And Lord, even as I get to share from my heart what you've shared from your heart, I pray that today none of us would have closed ears or closed hearts to receive, but we would catch this truth from your word in such a way that it will impact us and change the way we live, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we see others. Because in Christ, you made us righteous. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to start us all the way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis, and we're going to walk ourselves all the way through. Don't worry, I'm going to kind of give you a little summary so for the sake of time we can keep moving. But you guys remember what happened in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the and the earth. And he saw all these things that he began to create as the days go on. And he called them good. And eventually he made mankind. And he, re he recognized when he made Adam that Adam was alone. And he said, it's not good that Adam should be alone. So he put Adam into a deep sleep. And from Adam's rib, he then made woman. We've come to know her as Eve. God put them in this beautiful garden, a garden called Eden. And he told them this one rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can do whatever else you want. Don't do this one thing. I guarantee my kids would be so pleased if I told them we only had one rule. We do not. We have many rules. I don't know about you, but as parents, sometimes I'm finding myself constantly saying no to things. and I'm trying to figure out ways to do things differently. Or I'm trying not to correct all the time. I want to encourage and correct simultaneously. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Can you imagine if we only had one rule? How cool would that be? But we are all subject to many, many rules. God gave them one. Don't eat of the fruit of this one tree. And he told them this in Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 17. He says, but you shall not or you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. How many of you know that's a good enough consequence to stay away from that tree? Anybody? 
God speaking, saying, you can do what you want. Don't eat of this fruit. If you eat this fruit, you are going to die. Well, let's fast forward in the story. Eve is tempted by this, this serpent. She's having a conversation with this snake, and uh, she sees that the fruit looks good, and it looks like it's going to taste great, and she wants to be wise. So she takes and eats, and she gives some to her husband who's with her. He eats of it as well. And guess what? They were still alive. Wouldn't it have been interesting if they would have took a bite of the fruit and both of them just fell over and croaked? (laughs) God could have said, I told you so, and started all over, right? But they were still alive. I'm, I'm a little bit confused. I remember when I first read that, this is years and years ago now, I remember thinking, well, wait a minute. God said if they ate this fruit, they would surely die. Why are they still alive? And it wasn't until I began to study and to learn how to study the Bible that I recognized, oh, God was saying something much deeper than what we see in English here. In fact, when God says this in Genesis 2.17, but you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. If we were to go back and look behind those words to the original text, if we were looking to the, the Hebrew language, we would see that God is literally, when he says certainly die, he's using the same word over again. He's using the same word twice. So he's saying, in the day that you eat of it, he says the same word twice. And I'm going to tell you what this word means. So we, use, we interpret it as surely, or we interpret it as certainly. But this word literally means die. So God is literally saying to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of this fruit, die, die. God uses the same word twice. And you may think, well, is God confused? Why is he talking weird like that? Like, that's how babies talk, right? Like, ba-ba, da-da, mama. Why is God saying die, die? That is a little interesting. Well, it's, 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 so, it's, so, it's so captivating because when you see the tense that God spoke these words in, literally, the word here is translated, we, we use a transliteration called muth. Look at your neighbor and say, muth. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm not a cow. <laughs> we would say muth, right? This word literally, literally in the first tense is the infinitive tense. It's literally God saying, dying. The second time God says it, the same English word, but it's that muth again that we look at, he uses the imperfect tense. So God is saying, die. So literally, if we were to literally translate this, God is saying, in the day that you eat of this fruit, dying, you shall die. Now we're going somewhere here. I want to build on this because you're going to see why this is my favorite verse at the very end here. I want you to see this. God told them, when you eat this fruit, dying, you shall die. He's literally saying, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will begin the process of dying and you will die spiritually. What a spiritual death, being disconnected from God. So when Adam and Eve took and ate of this fruit, God didn't lie. They did die that day. They began physically dying. And all you ladies who use creams and things can say, good night, Adam and Eve. (laughs) It's your fault, right? They began this aging process, this dying process. But they also immediately, when they sinned, were separated from God. So they died spiritually. Is anybody with me today? So God is saying, die, die is going to happen when you eat of the fruit. Well, you guys know the story. They did eat of this fruit. And we go through the rest of the Old Testament. God is, is, is already bringing, intentionally bringing and making a way to bring the Messiah, the one who would die in our place, who would save us from our sin. But you think, Adam and Eve sinned. Why do I need to be saved from sin? They're the ones who made the big mistake. Why don't they just have to suffer the consequence? And Paul gives us a glimpse of this in Romans chapter 5. Listen to what he says here in verse number 12. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world... 
speaking of Adam and Eve, sin entered the world through one man, and death came in through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Hear this. Every person born of a man and a woman has been tainted. There is no one born of a man and a woman. Notice I'm emphasizing a man and a woman here on earth. There is no one born of a man and a woman who is not tainted and not in need of a savior. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, death came in. We saw that they died. They began to die physically and they died spiritually. And that sin and death spread to all people. And in addition to that, how many of you know we've all sinned since then? So Paul says it very clearly. Therefore, just as sin entered the world and, uh, through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Paul goes on in Romans to say this in chapter number 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23 to say this, for the wages or the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we're getting somewhere here. Look at this in Romans chapter five, verse number six. I'm purposely speeding through this because I want to get you to the point where you can see why this is so important to me. Romans five, six says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but the way my house is set up, I have in my master bathroom, there are two sinks. One is for my wife and one is for me. It's not that we couldn't use each other's sink, but her stuff is set up on one. Mine is set up on the other. So when she goes to get ready for church or whatever she's doing, she doesn't come to my sink. When I go to get ready for church, whatever I'm doing, I don't go to hers. But this is something I've noticed. When either of us are going to the shower, we have one shower in the house. When either of us are going to the shower, we don't stop by the sink first and kind of clean ourselves up a little bit in preparation to get in the shower. Anybody do that? I mean, if you do, that's your business, I guess, but... Usually what we do when it's time to get in the shower, you walk to the shower, you get in the shower as sweaty or as dirty as you might be that day. You jump into the shower and you let the water wash over you and you begin the process of becoming clean. Amen. I want you to catch something. We just read out of Romans 5 that Jesus, God, didn't wait for us to stop by the sink and get our act together first before he decided to wash us in his blood and make us clean. He chose on his own that while we were yet sinners, dirty, filthy, contaminated, that he loved us enough to say, I am going to die for them. Anybody with me this morning? Yes. Now, I want to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see in light of all we just talked about how powerful of a passage this is. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, I want to begin reading at verse number 14. And I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says. And I'm going to take my time to unpack some of this. So I want you to follow along as I read. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this. For Christ's love compels us. Paul's literally saying his love grips us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. And he died for all. Just in case there was any confusion. 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16 says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I want you to catch this. The Apostle Paul is saying, the love of Christ, it, it grips me. It holds me so tight. Why? Because I am convinced of this very thing. That if one died for all, then all died. I want us to replace a couple of words here. I think it would give us a little more clarity. The word for, F-O-R, is utilized a lot in this passage. And when we get to the word for, I'm going to replace it with the words in place of. In place of. Listen to me as I read this again. Verse number 14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died. Here's the word for. I'm going to replace it with. One died in place of all, and therefore all died. And he died, there's the word for again, in place of all, that those who live should no longer live in place of themselves, but in place of him who died in place of them. Woo, anybody's head spinning yet? <laughs> Have you ever traded something with someone? Maybe you have some goods and they have some goods. And you say, hey, let's, let's trade. My son talks about this all the time at school. Everyone packs their lunches. When they unpack everything, oh, everyone's eyes gets big. They're looking at everyone else's lunch. Oh, I'll, I'll trade you my cookies for your, for your crackers. Or I'll trade you this here for that candy. Or I'll trade you that juice box for this dessert. Like they're trading all the time. What you have to realize with the trade is you don't give someone something, they give you something back, and then you take yours back. How many of you know that's not how a trade works? I want you to catch what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. He's reminding us that an exchange has happened. And that one, being Jesus, died in place of us who were guilty and deserving of death. But the exchange is not only that he died in our place. Now we who were guilty and deserving of death, since he died in our place, now the exchange is we have to live for him. So there's an exchange that took place. Jesus innocent, us guilty, swap. Jesus becomes sin for us so that we can be righteous in him. It changes the way we live. And the Apostle Paul says that kind of love, it grips me in such a way because I recognize that Jesus did all this for me. And because he did this for me, now I don't live for myself. I live for him. Let's keep reading because he doesn't stop there. Verse number 17, most of you know this one. He says, therefore... Heard a good Bible teacher once say that if you ever stumble upon the word therefore, you need to pause and go back and find out what it's there for. Well, we just read what it's there for, right? So Paul's saying, based on what I just said, based on the exchange I just told you about, now if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has given their lives to Jesus, the new creation has come. The New King James Version says they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled or brought us to himself through Christ and now has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now that we've been saved and made right with God, we have the privilege of going out and helping others to see the truth so they can be made right with God as well. 
Verse number 19 says, this is the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Man. And then we land on this verse, verse number 21. For he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, never sinned, to be sin, we can say, in place of us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, I don't know about you, but I do know about me. And I remember way back in 2005, when I got out of the Air Force, I had just rededicated my life to Jesus, but I had never been discipled. I had no one walking alongside of me. So my wife and I, I said 2005, it was actually 2004. My wife and I ended up coming to a four-square church, I've mentioned this before, in California, a church called The Rock, under a pastor, and I'll name him Pastor Jerry Dearman. And I'll tell you why I name him in just a moment. But I went to this church, and to be honest with you, I had grown up in church. But when I went off to the Air Force, I went astray. And I walked into this church, and it wasn't my style of church. It wasn't what I was used to. So I sat in the pews, and I was kind of bored. Because, you know, church is all about me, right? <laughs> that was sarcasm, just in case anyone's wondering. And I sat in the pews, and I felt like I was a little bored. The music wasn't necessarily the exact kind of music I liked, and, oh, the style of preaching wasn't what I was used to. I was all focused on me, not focused on God. And I would sleep in the services, and Star would come out and say, did you hear what he said? That was so powerful. And I'd be like, I didn't hear anything. But let me tell you about this dream I have, right? Like, I was out cold, right? Weeks and weeks and weeks went on into months. Until literally one day, I'm sitting in this same service. The pastor's on his way up to speak. I'm getting comfortable in my seat because I'm going to take a nap, as has become my custom. And as I was sitting comfortably in my seat, I kid you not, I kid you not, I was 24 years old, and somehow, someway, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of me. It wasn't anything out loud or audible. Just inside, this question popped up. Why won't you listen? And I thought to myself, huh, that's a good question. So I sat up in my seat and I leaned in and I listened. And this man began to unpack the scripture. And for the first time, I realized, oh, you're not supposed to just go to church to check a box. You're supposed to go for many reasons, one of which is to be shaped by the word of God so you can live it out. I walked out of that service. I said, Star, did you hear what he said? That was powerful. She's like, I've been telling you this the whole time. We jumped into this discipleship program that they had. It was an intense discipleship program called Operation Solid Lives. Doesn't that sound militant? Getting this program, we had to not watch certain things. We had to put things away, fast these media things, so we can really just commit Scripture to memory and really just dive into what God's Word says. And for the first time, I heard a teaching where somebody taught that I, because of what Jesus has done, I am now the righteousness of God in Christ. It blew my mind. Because I understand that Jesus is perfect, but I know Marcus, and Marcus is far from it. 
But what I failed to realize is that when I gave my life to Jesus, an exchange took place. He stepped on the cross for me. Now I step up and live for him. So even though I walk and I make mistakes, I don't have to come week after week and give my life back to Jesus. I can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive help in time of need. I can confess my sin to God and he's faithful and just to forgive me. And guess what? Even when I make mistakes, I'm still righteous in his eyes. My prayer has been this, knowing I would teach this, Lord, please let me get out of the way. And I don't mean like me not stand here. Let me not be concerned with me, because if you can catch this the way I caught this, it will change the way you walk with Jesus. You see, when me and my wife have arguments, and that rarely ever happens, when me and my wife have arguments, how many of you know, just because we have an argument or a difference of opinion, it doesn't change the fact that that's my wife. I don't look at her and say, you know what? You made me mad today. I'm no longer your husband. That's not how covenant works. In fact, if me and my wife are in the middle of a disagreement and someone breaks into my house, how many of you know I'm not going to throw my wife at them? (laughs) That's my wife. We're in covenant together. That's the way God sees it. When I make a mistake, he doesn't say, I disown you. You've made a mistake. You're no longer my child. No, 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 no. He's ready and waiting for me to confess that as sin. And he says, guess what? Get on back up. You're still the righteousness of God in Christ. Get on back out there. I absolutely love you. That's the way this thing is. When you catch that, all of a sudden your confidence changes. Something inside of you changes to where when you stand up, you know, I'm not standing on Marcus's behalf. If I was, I'd have reason to be embarrassed and reason to be ashamed and reason to feel like I'm not good enough. But when I stand on Christ's behalf, it changes everything because my righteousness is not based on me. It's based on him and he's perfect and he's right and he's just and he's faithful and he's God. And now when he looks at me, he doesn't see all the messes that I've made. When he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. When God looks me in the eyes, he sees his son. That changes everything. My life changed. People ask me, how do you preach with so much confidence? Because it's not me. I'm not living for me. I live for Jesus now. If it was about Marcus, I'd be worried about what you thought about me. But it's about Jesus who hung and didn't care what we thought about him. And if that's the case, then the least I could do is present myself to him, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is pleasing to God. We have to grab a hold of this. Because when we do, the enemy can't stop us anymore. When we grab a hold of this, he'll lie to you. He'll still come and say, you're not good enough. You say, oh, yeah, (laughs) you were right. But now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I remember driving for work before. This is years ago. I'd be driving for work. And I told you guys about the scriptures I would put in my pocket here to try to commit to memory. I'd be driving and the enemy would try to tempt me with something. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's to look at something. And you know what I would do? I wouldn't just sit back and say, no, no, please, no. You know what I would do? I'd say, no, that's not who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Those things don't tempt me anymore. Why? Because I am in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's what I would tell the devil. I don't fight the devil with my mind. I fight him with the word of God. When you recognize that you're righteous in God's sight, it changes everything. Listen to what Paul says after catching this revelation in Galatians chapter 2. Verse number 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, this life, this physical life we deal with, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, uh uh-oh, there's the word for again, in place of me. Paul caught something. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pinned it down so that we can catch it as well. My prayer is that every single one of us today, we leave this place knowing our righteousness is not depending on how good or bad we are. When we make mistakes, we quickly come and confess those things as sin to God. We repent, turning away from those things, but we stand up in confidence knowing it's not based on me. My salvation wasn't based on me, so my righteousness is not based on me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've asked our worship team to lead us in a song today. And just as I always do, when we sing, we're not just reading words and just saying, let's just say whatever's up there. We're really singing to a God who's living and he's powerful and he interacts with us. So when we sing today, I want you to take and consider the words that are being sung. And I want you to sing those as if they're a prayer to the Lord, whether it's saying thank you, well then tell him, thank you, God. I thank you for your cross. I thank you for what you've done. Worship is not just let's just sing. No, let's, let's interact and fellowship with our creator because he's faithful, he's true, he's real, and he absolutely loves us. Can we stand on our feet together today? Praise God. He has made us righteous, but it's not automatic. It's for those who say, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to make the exchange. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to try in my own strength to be right by God. I completely surrender. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. If there's anybody in this place who has never made that decision to say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, We have a team of individuals who absolutely love the Lord and would love to walk you through that, help you surrender today and say, today's the day that I truly accept the exchange and make Jesus the Lord of my life so I too can walk out of this place as the righteousness of God in Christ. How many of you know, if you grab a hold of this, this will change your life. Anybody? Praise God. Praise God. I also want to let you know that our communion tables are here. If you want to come and partake of communion, please do. Whether you come individually or as a family, the tables are open for you. We absolutely love you here at Grace Covenant. And we believe that God is doing something great in our midst. And listen, when he does great things, he does it in us and through us. So as you go through this week, don't be like I was when I used to come to church and fall asleep and just check my box and move on. Take what you've learned today. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you apply it to your life and go out as the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful dry week. We'll see you next week.